Hello and welcome back to this episode of the Peak Results Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rich Fournier. And in today's episode, I sit down with Jacqueline Pennington from Remax Hallmark First Group in Northumberland, uh, which is located just on the north shore of Lake Ontario, just east of Toronto. Now, Jacqueline is the number one individual highest selling realtor in Northumberland, and that's based on 2019-2020 stats year to date. And she is ranked in the top 100 realtors with Remax in Canada. Uh, she's also been recognized by Remax as a top 35 under 35. This is a fantastic interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So stay tuned. Have you ever wondered why some people thrive in all areas of their life? Welcome to the Peak Results Academy podcast with your host, Rich Fournier. Each week, we interview industry experts who consistently dominate in the fields of health, business, and beyond. Our mission is to share their personal struggles and strategies so that you can create your own peak results. Welcome to the Academy. Hello, everyone. Rich Forney here for the Peak Results Academy podcast. I'm your host, and in today's episode, I'm super excited to have Jacqueline Pennington from Remax Hallmark First Group in Northumberland. Um, thank you, Jacqueline, for being on this podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, for some of our international listeners um, who will have no idea where, where Northumberland is, uh, maybe you can give us just a brief uh, geography lesson. Yes. Yeah, so actually, unfortunately, most people have no idea where Northumberland is. So I like to say Northumberland is where the GTA ends. So uh, contrary to popular belief, when you get past Oshawa, Bowmanville, the world does not end. It keeps going uh, right through Northumberland County. So we're situated uh, along the 401 corridor uh, between Kingston and uh, the GTA. So Toronto region. So Toronto, Ontario. Perfect. Yeah. So Jacqueline, you've had a pretty amazing career. I mean, you're working in a very small geographic area, uh, not a ton of transactions in your area. And of course, um, you're aware this podcast is about trying to figure out what creates a peak result in someone's life business or whatever they're involved in. And you've had some pretty amazing results in the real estate business in a small community with a limited number of transactions, really climbing to the top level. And if you don't mind me bragging about you a little bit, um, I'd just love to share some of the results you've had, if you're okay with that. Um, some of your most recent awards was the number one individual highest selling realtor in Northumberland for based on 2019 and year to date 2020, which is extraordinary. Um, top 100 realtors in Canada with Remax um, and on and on and on and on. And something that I was really excited to see, you actually spoke at the UN. So we'll get into that later. But you've had some extraordinary results and my job is to figure out why. So maybe you can help us. Do you have like a little genie or a little bottle full of magic potion that allows you to perform at such a high level with two children and married? I wish I did. Maybe it's espresso, but uh, no, in terms of kind of, I certainly wish that I did, but uh, no, there, there's no secret in that side of things. It's just honestly a lot of really hard work. You know, I hear that hard work, hard work is an interesting thought process. And, you know, as, you know, working with some of my coaching clients and really chatting about what, what's hard work and, and they say, well, I work really hard, Rich, and, you know, but I'm not getting the results that I'm looking for. And I'm like, well, what is hard work actually mean? And so when you talk about hard work, um, what does that mean to you? And because you seem to be working either really a lot harder than everyone else 
or your definition of hard work is different? Yeah, I would say probably my definition is, is a little bit different. So probably contrary to popular belief, I don't actually work 24-7. Uh, so yes, I am very busy as a realtor, but my first priority is obviously my family and my kids. Uh, so I very rarely actually work evenings, even prior to COVID. I'm typically home by five o'clock every day. Uh, maybe I might take an appointment after kind of the kids are home, maybe once a week, if that. Uh, and I typically take at least one day off a weekend. So in terms of hard work, it's not necessarily, you know, in terms of kind of just focused on working constantly. Obviously, I put in a lot of hours in the day. But I think it's really about being streamlined focused and really having good systems in place so that I can be very effective in the hours that I do work and ensure that obviously my family and my children are still my top priority with time with them. So I'm assuming when you get into the office, you're not surfing YouTube, listening to podcasts, um, <laughs> being on Facebook. You're very, it sounds like you're very focused. And, and when you're in the office, you're either there to work. Yeah, so actually, interesting enough, I am in my permanent office. So probably something that's a little bit different uh, about me is I actually do not have a brokerage that I physically work out of. Um, and I have not actually had a quote unquote desk base within a real estate brokerage probably for about seven years. Uh, so I work in my home. And that's one of the things in terms of, again, I don't want to work, you know, 10 hours a day. Uh, so I want to work really efficiently. And part of that for me is being in my zone, being in my office, and not having the distractions of a standard real estate brokerage uh, around me. And certainly not to say anything negative about that. That's great for some people. Uh, I just find in terms of kind of, you know, this is the environment that I'm most productive in. It's amazing. Actually, I was having a conversation with my wife this morning, and before the kids got up, it was around 6.30 this morning, having coffee, and chatting about, you know, our office space that I currently am in today, and uh, working from home. And I said, I would love to work from home, but the draw of playing with my three the girls and the 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 conversation the loud conversations i don't know if i could do it so i commend you for being able to do that mm -hmm. um so let's start off a little bit going back 15 plus years um into your foray into the real estate business um you work mm -hmm. in a small community and you started i think around what 23 24 yeah i was 23 when i started me too and you bought your first place and you enjoyed it very much. And you talk about advocacy in your description to me, and that was an interesting word I hadn't seen used yet before in any of my conversations with other real estate agents. So um, what makes you so different? I think in terms of kind of, I've always looked at the business in a very different way. And in terms of kind of, I think that's something you probably read in my bio, is that I've never looked at it as I'm a salesperson. I've always looked at it with an advocacy-based approach. Uh, I think what's a little bit different is that I came into real estate with a very different background. Uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, I actually wasn't in high school, although I probably looked like I just got out of it when I started. Um, but I actually worked in human rights and children's advocacy. And that is something that was a passion of mine that I'd been involved in since a very young age. Uh, so when it came to the real estate business, I looked at it in terms of getting into it. In all honesty, I think like many people, uh, I wanted to be self-employed and I wanted really the feeling not to be limited in terms of kind of where my success was. And I thought, you know what, I can add something different to this industry because I didn't see a lot of people in the marketplace with this advocacy-based approach. You know, instead of being focused on the sales aspect and how many deals I do, how much money I make, I really looked at it and said, you know, I think people really need an advocate. People really need someone in their corner who is knowledgeable, um, an expert in terms of what we're doing in this industry and is going to be their advocate throughout the process. Uh, 
Um, so I would say in terms of credit, that's probably something that makes the way I look at business a little bit different than most. That's great to hear. Now, there's a lot of people in our industry who get into the industry thinking that, you know, it's, it's an easy way to riches, an easy way to lots of money. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, oh, and, and they love real estate. Um, yeah. How does someone go from where you were at to becoming the number one selling, um, hate the word selling, but the number one real estate focused um, person in your area? Because when I look at the, the number of agents that are in the business today and competing for mm-hmm. business, which really I think the average, there's an average of two deals per agent in Ontario that is available to transact on. Um, mm-hmm. What is that one or two or three things that have enabled you to get to mm-hmm. that level? So I think a few things, I would say one thing in terms of kind of that, uh, again, in terms of the way that I look at it, is I actually enter the business with a business plan. So again, I was 23 years old and I walked into the Remax office that I worked at with a SWOT analysis and a business plan in hand. Um, and I think in terms of kind of the broker I used to work for probably almost fell off its chair. Um, but I always had that idea in mind that this is a business. I'm an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of people enter this business and look at it from that sales perspective in terms of a lot of the coaching and everything within our industry is based on how many people you need to call a day, how many people you need to get in front of, how many deals do you need to do? And I really didn't look at it like that. I really looked at it in terms of I need to lay a foundation um, for a successful business. And if I do all of those things and I do them well and continuously improve upon that, then the sales will come. So I think in terms of kind of First and foremost is that I do think of it as I am an entrepreneur. I am a business person. Um, I think in terms of kind of the other way is I'm not sales focused. I am not dollar focused. And I always say if you're getting into the industry and what's driving you is money, you may succeed in the short term, but you're not going to last. That's not enough to keep you going. And people see that. Consumers can see that. So I've always been very, very focused on clients approach in terms of if I do my job, if I do well by them, if every single person who works with me leaves feeling as though I brought something of value to the table for them, then again, they'll recommend me to their friends, etc. and go from there. Uh, And then the third thing in terms of kind of, again, I was young, I was 23, I didn't start on a team, I actually didn't know a single soul in the industry. And I also didn't really know anyone within my community. So I wasn't actually uh, working at that point in time within the community, uh, young, so none of my friends were buying homes. So I didn't have that sphere of influence. So I really had to focus very strongly on both prospecting, uh, as well as really building, you know, that sphere in terms of kind of that support group and people around me uh, to, to support myself in my business. So I think those are probably the three key things for me um, that have led me to where I am today. Something that stands out for me, we were talking about doing good by other people. We call that the impression mm-hmm. of increase. Where mm-hmm. everyone that we're with, we leave them with the impression of increase, meaning we want to leave them better for having just have met us. And if you do that, you can't help but create a gap that has to be filled by something good. Because the universe, God, whoever you want to call it, abhors a gap. It needs to fill something. So when you serve to that capacity, you can't help but be rewarded in a certain way. When you talk about building a foundation in the beginning, um, 
what does that mean? Like, does that mean like creating a brand presence locally? Yes. Yeah, so in terms of credit, I've always actually been very much into branding. So um, I was actually, yeah, I would have been the first realtor in my entire community that actually had a logo. It was a horrible one. It was, you know, my name with a house on top, you know, really kind of old school. But again, at that point in time, I was the only one apparently to be in the thought of, you know, I need to personally a brand to be. Jackson Pennington is a brand. Um, so I've always been very brand focused, but it's not just about logos and in terms of what color you use. It's, it's who you are and how you interact. Um, in terms of, again, being younger, you would never see me in jeans. Uh, I always dressed in terms of kind of very professionally. And then the other key component in terms of kind of, again, creating that brand and that, you know, really that basis uh, was the business community. So I got involved in starting a young professional organization in my community. I've been very active over the years with the Chamber of Commerces in my area, as well as uh, the nonprofit organizations. So again, I really had to build that base of in terms of kind of, you know, cementing myself as a name in the community. I didn't have a history of a family growing up there in which people knew me. So I had to really create that from scratch. You know, I understand that when we moved up to the Barry area, we didn't know a soul. Mm -hmm. and, you know, when we started three kids and no one, I mean, I'm back in the game of real estate from, you know, from Oakville area, Burlington area. All of a sudden I'm like, how do I start? Now, thank God I had the internet because there was yeah. no way that I could have scaled as quickly as we did without the internet, without having a circle of influence. I didn't have time mm -hmm. to go knock on doors and shake hands and kiss babies and do that because I needed to go now. And mm -hmm. how, so then I'm, I'm thinking about you and not having Google pay-per-click advertising, um, Facebook ads, et cetera, to develop a, a digital virtual relationship with someone in the back end. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm, I can't even imagine the amount of work that you put in to create that brand. Like, that must have been a lot of work. Yeah, and, and certainly in terms of kind of the early days, it absolutely was. There was a lot of, you know, and I think that's our industry in general. You have to put a lot of work in in the beginning. Um, to, and it's a long payoff. And I think in terms of we're always looking in our industry for that instant, you know, lead in terms of kind of I invest this amount, I do this activity, I need to get this, you know, client as a result. Uh, and it's definitely a long-term game. So in the beginning, I would actually do four open houses a weekend. So I would do an open house from, you know, 11 to one and then go to another one from, you know, two to four every Saturday and Sunday. And it was really for me just about in terms of I didn't have a huge pot of money to pull from to do farming. I'm big into farming now, but at that point in time, that's obviously an expensive, you know, prospecting avenue. Um, so really all I had was time. And so I took that time and I just made sure, you know, if there was an opening of an envelope, I was probably there. And that was really just what I was focused on in terms of how to get myself in front of people in the community. I mean, we can go to the nuances of the business, you know, the strategy of creating relationships. Um, but you can pick up any book. This isn't rocket science. Mm -hmm. This is about yeah. how many people did I communicate today about buying and selling a piece of property in an amazing way? And how do I, you know, create that sort of relationship that they're willing to communicate with me, their, their particular, so I can communicate with them over the long term. Mm -hmm. that's it yep that's it like this is not anything bigger than that now the mechanism or means behind that have, has changed right it, it there's more ways to do that but there's a psychology behind you at a, as a young person let's be honest doing two open houses on the week a saturday and sunday 
and starting groups and being part of that, there's a drive that is uncommon. That's not common. And what I'm curious, I'm, I believe 80 to 90% of everything we do is psychology and mind based. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with nuances of the business. So if you're open to it, I'd love to find out a little bit more about you and your background and your mind space, your mind share. How did that develop? Was your family motivated like you? So in the sense of, I would say in terms of kind of, I came from truthfully pretty humble beginnings um, in that sense of things. Uh, none of my parents are actually in business of any kind. Uh, but what I do find interesting, I have two older sisters, um, and both of which in their individual fields are very similar to me in that. They're very, very successful women in their businesses. My one sister runs a large company in Toronto, and the other one is an executive in government. So um, I'm not sure entirely how we all got there, but we definitely do have that, um, you know, ingrained with us in terms of kind of, you know, your success is what you make it. Um, and, you know, kind of growing against Again, from more humble beginnings, nothing was given to us. We had to look for it. Uh, so I've worked from a very young age, and uh, that's in terms of kind of, I think, where a lot of that came from. Yeah, I mean, there's um, the ability to be in this business day after day, week after week, month after month, without creating an income initially is not for the faint of heart. And yep. people in your position or some of the agents that I uh, professionals who I communicate with um, make it look easy, and so what? I'm trying to understand the what gave you that drive to to enter a space where you could have been out traveling the world, you could have been out with other friends and living that lifestyle. Like, what was that internal drive, and where did that come from to to perform at a level? I mean, there's one thing about getting a you know being in a position where you're getting a paycheck and working really hard, the expectations are there to work hard. And if I, and the fear of loss sets in and I'm like, well, I got to work really hard or else I'm going to lose this check. Mm-hmm. Here, you're not getting the check. Like where, like there's, there's a huge disconnect for me. And how does someone develop that drive? Cause if I could bottle it. Yep. Right. And- and I'd love to tell you in terms of kind of here's the secret formula for it. Um, in terms of kind of my own experience, I think truthfully a lot of it probably came from the work I did in advocacy. So that was all volunteer driven. Um, and I was young when I started. So it's probably around 13, 14. Uh, so here you have this young kid from Wooler, Ontario, you know, middle of nowhere. Uh, and I was, you know, running around at uh, national and, and Canadian tables advocating for the rights of children. Um, and there wasn't ever anything in it for me. It wasn't a job. So in terms of kind of, you know, the way that I look at it is that that's where my drive really started. I had to succeed because children's rights and my peers' well-being were on the line. So there really was no option to fail, if that makes sense. Um, and I think in terms of kind of, for me, having been exposed to that from a very young age, um, really just probably laid that foundation of that. It doesn't matter what I do. I always have that ingrained in me that, you know, um, failure is unfortunately just not an option. We have a program called Mission and Commission, where you talk about you have to be on a mission for something greater than yourself, mm-hmm. right? So when you're, and, and I don't like the word commission, but it, it works publicly. Um, when you are advocating for these kids, was there something that happened in your life where you looked 
and some of the happening in your circle of influence that you were drawn to um, um, to be a stand for other people when they couldn't be a stand for themselves? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for me, it happened in high school in terms of at that point in time in high school and where I kind of got involved, we had, um, you know, the segregated classroom still. That's where it all kind of began in terms of children with intellectual disabilities right. had to be in a different classroom. And I saw a lot of bullying happening and I kind of looked at it again, not having too much in terms of growing up in life and said, you know, I think I've got it bad, but look at what these other kids are dealing with every day. And I started to connect with them. I started to learn more about them. Um, and that's in terms of kind of knowing their stories and the struggles and the challenges these young people were facing uh, is really where that kind of connection came to in terms of that, you know, I have a voice that I can use to help empower them. And I have a voice I myself can use to make sure that they have a quality and a better life. And it sounds, I know, which is extremely admirable. And then now it sounds like you've taken that same passion and were able to collapse the same ideology into servicing people in the real estate world. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword. Um, my husband teases me for all the time to say, you know, you got to settle advocacy Jackie down a little bit right now. Uh, Cause I am just, that's just me. That's how I'm ingrained in terms of if I ever see anyone at any point in time, you know, that isn't being respected as an equal um, or being discriminated against. Um, it's really hard for me to kind of keep my mouth shut around it. Um, so yeah, that's in terms of, as I said, it's, it's a, you know, a great characteristic I have, but at the same point in time, it can sometimes get me in a bit of trouble, I think. Yeah, you know, you mentioned something earlier, and this is why I love this style of conversation. Um, it's, you know, I'm not ramming off a list of questions, because you mentioned something earlier about um, being on purpose for what you do, and it's not about, it can't be about the money. Mm -hmm. And it can be about the money for a bit, but I completely resonated with you when you said it can't be for a long time. You won't last mm -hmm. because you will burn out because money is nothing. Money, all it is, is a piece of, it's a concept. Yeah. And Somebody can perform for a period of time, but unless they tie something bigger to the outcome, whether it's serving their family, making sure their family's okay, or making sure they're an advocate for other people in the real estate business. I tried to look at it, and when I came up here, that I was here to save those people from other people. Mm -hmm. Right? That there were other people who were going to give them bad advice, bad service. And I had to play in my mind because it was very daunting to start in a brand new market, you know, at 40. Mm -hmm. where I didn't know anyone. I had to play with my mind. And yeah. do you still feel like you have to play with your mind every day to perform at a high level after all this time? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I would say in terms of kind of, and again, I think that's where we go back to money can't be the focus. Because right. you're always going to have good years. You're always going to have bad years. And in terms of kind of if you're just focused on that next sales award level, it's not going to be what keeps you going in the morning. Um, in terms of kind of for me, I think, again, it can be daunting. And I think you've said it really well. When we hear about some of our clients' experiences with other, call it professionals in our industry. Um, and that's, I think, where I struggle in terms of kind of I hear those stories. And I really just want to help people. I want to have people feel as though, you know, realtors are not 
sleazy, um, that we are a professional industry and walk away feeling as though they had a really good experience um, throughout that and that they felt protected and they felt that somebody was in their corner for them all, all along the way. What I've experienced so far through this podcast and working with you know, mainly in talking with people in our profession. And now we're, we've gone into other areas because others had great peak results as well. But yeah. I found that the people that in our, um, who are performing at a very high level for a very consistent amount of time really do care. Mm-hmm. They really do. Right. They really do. Minus the flash and the, you know, the, the game of marketing, which is just to get the attention, which is, you have to in, in this business, I think, that they really do care. They really are genuinely there to serve. And I think that there's a, that's the message that I'm trying to bring out is that to create anything that's extraordinary, you must be in love with what you do every day, not the outcome, but the process. The process mm-hmm. has to be the magic. Yeah, absolutely. You can't don't enjoy the process day to day. It's impossible to do it every day mm-hmm. for a long period of time. I- And I think that's honestly something that would surprise a lot of people to know is that, you know, I think in every community, you know, when we start in the industry or in general, there's always that talk about, you know, those, those big producing agents. And in terms of, to be honest, a lot of it's not very flattering in terms of you always hear people in the community saying this, that, or the other. And what surprises me is that the more that in terms of kind of through either REMAX conferences, Hallmark in general, that I talk to and I'm exposed to, you know, those, those real estate giants we've all looked up to, they are genuinely the nicest, most caring, amazing human beings you will ever meet. And I think that's the thing in terms of a lot of people don't realize that, you know, it's not as cutthroat of an industry as I think people think it is. They didn't get to the top by stepping on other people. They got to the top because they are really just genuinely good people who care about their clients. And their clients can see that. And obviously that's what they're attracting in terms of kind of why they're successful. Yeah, I agree. When you look at some of the nuances and, and the reason why I'll bring this up is I think the magic of performance is in our mind. I mean, I had this great, amazing interview the last two days with a married couple who are both Olympians, Canadian Olympians, who performed at a very high level. And um, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to bring out that podcast in the next couple of weeks. Um, there's the you know, the, the mind, which is all important, the most important thing in performance. But some of our listeners want to know about the daily method of operation on a day-to-day. So if you're open to it, mm-hmm. if you don't mind sharing a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis to um, serve your clients um, pre-COVID and if that's going to change post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So in terms of kind of what a typical day looks like? Yeah, your day-to-day method of operation. Yeah, so in terms of for me, um, I'm very system-based approached. Uh, so in terms of kind of I have full-time staff that works with me that takes care of a lot of the back end. And the reasoning for that is that I'm a people person. I want to be with my clients. I want to be talking to my clients. So whether or not that's in person uh, or whether or not that's in terms of kind of, you know, right now virtually. Um, and in terms of kind of to talk a little bit about, you know, that communication piece, I think is key. Um, I just met actually with um, an individual the other day and they said, you know, they had their home listed, COVID happened, and it was crickets from their realtor. Um, and they never heard from their realtor within the last two months. And I think in terms of kind of that's where my focus is always on, even if I don't actually have anything to report to that person, they still want to hear from us. Because even if we're not in the midst of a pandemic as we are now, when it comes to someone either purchasing or selling their home, 
during that period of time, that process really just becomes everything to them. You know, they wake up in the morning, they're thinking about it, they go to sleep at night, they're thinking about it. It is such a important thing to an individual. So the way that I've always looked at it and kind of based my business is that it has to be like that for me too. That I know when they wake up, that's what they're thinking. I know five minutes after that showing concluded, they're wondering what happened. Do they like the house? Do they not like the house? So I always try to really think about that in that mindset and just make sure that I'm so on top of communicating with clients. Um, so in terms of kind of with my day, a lot of it is spent either on the phone, email, texting, just communicating and talking to my clients. Um, and again, especially right now with obviously what we're dealing with. Yeah. Do you, um, do you set limits in terms of, of when you communicate? Like, do you, you know, will you take text, phone calls past a certain time at, in the evening? Um, when you take your day off, is it a full day off or, or are you saying you take a day off, but you're running to the bathroom, texting and emailing and calling? I am always accessible, just to be honest, in terms of kind of, um, you know, with the exception of when I'm sleeping, I will take calls up until the end of the day, um, texting, things to that extent. So again, you know, and I know some realtors have that in terms of, you know, this is my day off, I don't want to hear from you. But the way that I look at it is that they don't get to take a day off from that process. Their house is still on the market or they're still looking to buy. Um, so I am, my cell phone is at my hip. I am very accessible to clients. Now there's times in terms of kind of, you know, my philosophy is that I should be responding within a very short period of time. And that's what my clients have come to expect of me. Um, as my husband puts it, I run a very high touch business model. Um, and that's certainly been something that's been a challenge for me as I've grown busier. Um, how do I continue to have that model and be authentic to who I've always been? And that's that very high touch model with just a greater, um, in terms of kind of number of clients that I'm dealing with. Um, so no, I'm actually one of the realtors who I am pretty much easily accessible with the exception of obviously when I take time off for my family. Of course, of course. And I just want to make sure that I think, you know, some people that I communicate with, you know, it's, you know, I'm off Thursday. I don't come back till Sunday. I'm like, come on, (laughs) (laughs) come on, let's get down into the granular aspects of it. This is a high touch industry and the consumer absolutely expects instant communication um, Absolutely. Um, when you look at the future of our industry um, and do you see the next generation of technology um, replacing us or augmenting what we do I think in terms of kind of the next, you know, technology is always going to be a really key component. And I think especially right now, we're realizing in terms of, you know, it's going to be the difference over who makes it out of the pandemic in terms of still being in this business and successful and who doesn't. Uh, I was an early adopter of DocuSign. I needed to be. Uh, at the time that DocuSign came out, I was probably about six or seven months pregnant. Um, so I needed to be able to utilize that tool. And those types of technologies have really served me well in our current environment. Um, but absolutely, I do not think under any way, shape, or form it's going to be a replacement for us. Um, we do so much for clients. We know that. You know, I know people like to think in terms of, oh, you just put a for sale sign in the yard and, you know, throw it on the MLS. But we all know there's so much more to what we add to our industry. Uh, I like to say in terms of kind of I'm 80% counselor and maybe 20% sales representative. So um, there is that really big key component in terms of supporting clients from the you know, really emotional and mental health side of things throughout the transaction. I agree with you completely. I mean, we had a run for 10 years, which was absolutely amazing, but you know, we're in that 
you know, that bias where every, what is currently happening will always happen. And that's not true. And that's especially true now with COVID. So, you know, I do believe that fear, ego, and greed, well, um, well, they need us. And they need people like you who are an advocate for them because um, in that sales representative title that Rico has, okay. horrible, they need to change because that is not what we do. I cannot sell a piece of property ever. You yeah. can't. It's either you like it or you don't. Yeah. And they, I have heard that they actually are in process of looking at that. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, uh, so I am a broker and I got my broker's license uh, when I was 25 for the day um, in terms of we have to be in the business for two years to get it. I did all my courses in advance and actually registered as a broker on my two-year anniversary because I hated the term sales representative. Uh, and I wanted to make it clear, I am not a sales representative. I am your advocate. And that's why one of the reasons I changed it to broker as quickly as I possibly could. You know, what's really super interesting is that I listen to you. You're very... Um, when you, my feelings that when you make a decision, you make a decision, you cut off, you draw a line in the sand. This is what it is. And because of that, everything moves, right? There's no, you're not, you know, you're not like, hmm, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't do it. Not sure. Um, and I think that's a, a common, um, it's a common feature for lack of a better word for anyone who's performing at a high level. They make a decision very quickly, and that is it. That's done. I'm not going back on that decision. And um, that's it's it's. I just wanted to point that out. That's an observation, and it's it's really great to see. Um, when you look, you did we, on our phone call the other day. We were chatting about how you decided to adopt um, servicing your sellers to the best of your ability by working with um, non Northumberland agents you made a decision to do whatever was you possibly could to work with agents who were outside your service area mm -hmm. and um, how much of a difference maker was that in um, the success of your business that was huge to be honest in terms of kind of when i look back in terms of what did i do differently um and i'd say that was one of the main things so as we talked about i joined a toronto-based brokerage quite a few years ago and in our particular market, again, we're kind of on the outskirts of the city. So a lot of buyers come to our area, um, the driving you know, market for our particular area is buyers from the GTA, as well as coming with their agents. And unfortunately, in kind of small town real estate, there is a bit of this sandbox mentality that we don't want you playing in our sandbox. And that was very evident to me. It certainly wasn't something that's hidden. It is very well known in our community and I think to the east. And again, in terms of I've always been that advocacy client based approach, I looked at it and said, you know what, what do I care? What do I care if, you know, Susan down the street sells the listing versus, you know, John from the city, At the end of the day, as long as my client gets the most money possible, that's what the priority is. Um, so I really pivoted my business to be focused on attracting both the GTA clientele, but also the agents. Um, so in terms of kind of along with the way that I list my properties, again, it's not just about sales marketing, it's really about education because we're dealing with consumers that uh, typically speaking have never lived in our market and often usually they've maybe been here once or twice, uh, realtors that don't deal with septic wells, et cetera. So there's a really big uh, support and education piece that goes along with what I do when dealing with realtors from outside of our community. That's fantastic to hear. <clears throat> if you could give a piece of advice to someone who's starting today. Mm -hmm. It's different. 
you know, it, it's different, you know, even 10 years ago to where we are today in terms of growing a real estate business today, is there something that you could do differently today than what you did, you know, 15 years ago? I stacked a couple questions inside of that, so I apologize. Yeah, that's okay. In terms of kind of differently today, obviously the tools that are out there are somewhat different than what I had accessible to me at the time. Um, one of the things in terms of kind of piece of advice to newer agents, education is so key in this industry. And again, if I could kind of look back at one of those things where I say, you know what, I did that right. Um, I got very actively engaged in anything and everything in terms of course that I could take, I took it. Um, and that's what really allowed me to kind of cement myself and push my career forward. Because again, I was young. And when I went into the listing presentation, because I didn't have any sort of sphere of influence, I was going in cold. I never knew these people. And I was typically the underdog at the table competing against the big guys. Um, so I needed to really know what I was talking about. Um, it also didn't help that I looked like I was a teenager. So I would say that's a really important thing in terms of if you want somebody to trust you with their largest investment and pay you thousands of dollars, you better show up to the table and know your shit. And I don't think enough people in our industry do. I'm shocked in terms of kind of the lack of knowledge that continuously I see within the real estate community. So I think that that would be one really main thing, especially if, you know, in those early days, you're not typically as busy with clients. So you have the time to be doing the courses. So don't wait until you're almost at your um, re-registration period to complete your courses. Do them right away. Um, and in terms of kind of, again, other things in terms of advice or, you know, if you're starting in the industry, you know, partner up with senior agents, you know, support them so that they can then support and mentor you as well. Um, and be very just open to learning in general. I think so as well. I think um, partnering with someone is extremely important, somebody who's been around. Do you, would you advise someone to start to join a team today or to start off um, on their own? You know, in terms of, to be honest, and again, I didn't have, uh, I didn't start with a team. I didn't really, there wasn't really many teams within my market at that point in time. I think starting with a team is a good idea in some ways, but unfortunately, the challenge with it is that you also need to learn who you are and you need to be really on your own in some ways to kind of, you know, you can't rely on anybody else in this business. You have to get the business yourself. So I think sometimes the only potential downside of a team is that it's a great place to learn, but you also don't want to become complacent or just dependent on that team. You really want to figure out your style and who you are. Um, so I think there is good, you know, positive to either joining the team or again, find an agent within the office that's successful that might have additional leads or time to kind of support you. But again, you have to bring something to them. The reason I was doing two open houses a day every Saturday and Sunday was to support the senior agents in my office so that when they had leads, they knew who scratched their back and who to give them to. God, it makes a lot of sense. Today, are you primarily um, a listing agent? Yes, yeah, so about 70-75% of my business is sale, like listing size of things. Yeah, and when you look at, because I think the the only way to have a life in this business is to be a listing agent. Um, Absolutely. And that's a hundred percent. Like no one can convince me otherwise. Um, yeah. And that, for me, that was a strategic decision when I had children. Um, so in terms of right before I had my first child, I actually made. I sat down and said, you know, how am I going to do this and still see my kids every day? Um, and I didn't want to be running the road. So I made a specific decision in terms of why I was going to be really focused on the listening side of things. 
um, and really formed my business around going after that market to cement myself as a listing realtor. Do you, um, just a few more minutes and I know, thank you for taking the time. Um, when yeah, of course. Generating your listings today. You know, you've been around for a bit long, you know, so it's a little bit easier, but at the same time, competition has gone up. Yeah, right. So, you know, I don't think it's easier, but I think competition has gone up. And um, so is there a strategy that you utilize on a daily basis to, to acquire new clients and new listings? Yes. Yeah, so actually, I'm big into farming still. So I've had a uh, geographical farm area for almost 10 years now. Uh, and I still farm. So one of the oldest school techniques in the industry, and I still use that quite a bit. So farming, and then in terms of kind of, again, if you're looking to go more after the listing side, you have to have a really, really strong listing package um, that's really technology-based in terms of innovative and cutting-edge marketing. I agree with that very much. When you look at, you don't have to give numbers, but I'm super curious, um, yeah. the, as a percentage of, say, 100 households, how many, in, say 100 households was the entire community, how many households would you, as a percentage, um, farm in that community? So if you had you know, uh, yeah. people, 10, 000, is it 10% of a community? Is it 20% of a community? Is it 30% of a community? Are you farming? Is it? So I have kind of a two-phase farm approach. Uh, so I have a hard, solid farm area of about 10,000 homes. Yep. Uh, and then I do have other ones on top of that. So in terms of kind of of the 20,000 or so homes in the area, uh, I probably actually farm about 50% to 60. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. Amazing. So it's aggressive. It's a great, well, it's good. I think it's great. Yeah. Good, right. Um, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I mean, I'm super curious. Um, I think, you know, looking at our community where we are today and what's possible. Um, is there, you know, do you ramp that up during the year or is it, bi-weekly is a monthly you know just trying to understand that process mm -hmm. yes and actually i do a lot on the farming actually i've done seminars on it as well so i you could i could talk to you all day about farming i do ramp it up at certain periods of time during the year but the one common mistake i see people make with farming is that they ramp it up in the spring i'm actually really aggressively farming in december january february it makes a ton of sense very logical yes because that's when people are starting to kind of think uh, so I always kind of get a chuckle when you start to see realtors putting out all their postcards in, you know, April, May. I've already been in their door. I've already secured that listing long before most people are even thinking about starting to put a piece of mail out. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And that's, you know, I think some people, they'll start off really big, right? And then they, they're not consistent. And I've heard the numbers, yeah. like 18 months before you start getting that return. Yeah, probably at least that. And again, in terms of I have a huge farm now, but I didn't start with that, obviously. I, you know what, you want to start with a micro, anything kind of like a thousand and just be hitting that very regularly, um, as opposed to doing, you know, one large flyer, you know, output, you know, once a year or twice a year. Makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. You know, I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. If there's anything that you can share with our listeners today, um, any piece of advice in terms of um, what does it take and, and who do you have to be inside to create um, that high level of performance in this industry? If you could share that with us, we, um, I'm sure our listeners would appreciate that. So one key thing I've always gone back to is Kaizen, which is a Japanese word for improvement and that mindset of you have to be in the mindset of continuous self-improvement. doesn't matter if you've been in the industry for five years or 40 years. 
when you look at those top producing long-term agents that are still succeeding, it's because they're continuously improving and adapting and evolving their business. That's Tony Robbins was one of his primary things 25 years ago was that ideology, you know, constant improvement every single day. And uh, that's an amazing message. And I appreciate you very much. Thank you for spending some time with us. And I genuinely believe that by you sharing how you've had the success you'd had, things will work out in an amazing way for you. And I know our audience does appreciate this. So thank you very, very much. Well, and thank you. And thank you for doing this. I think it's a, a great initiative to be getting more information out there and helping, you know, the real estate community in general. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Have yourself an amazing day and uh, try to have some fun. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you are fit to work with Peak Results Academy, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to peakresultsacademy.com slash call. That's peakresultsacademy.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what do you really want out of life and your business? Number two, what is not working for you today? And number three, the exact strategy you should be using to create massive change in these areas. Remember, changing your life and creating massive results does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We're helping clients all over the world create peak results in their health, in their businesses, and in their personal lives. To see if we can help you do the same, head over to peakresultsacademy.com call. We'll chat soon.